Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Growing Woman Podcast. My name is, my voice sounded like very deep at the end of that, the Growing Woman Podcast. Ooh. Um, my name is Christina Singh, and I am the host of the Growing Woman Podcast. And this show is all about amplifying women's voices and stories. And I'm so thrilled to welcome you to episode three of our season um, one of 2021. And uh, like I mentioned in our first episode, we'll have three seasons this year. So we are in episode three of season one, and I'm just so thrilled to have you here. Uh, And this year, I'm going to be alternating some interviews with solo episodes, and today is a solo episode. So if you don't follow me on Instagram, at growingwomanpod, head over there and follow me. I would love to chat with you. And if you aren't familiar with this show, welcome. I'm going to be talking today about my birth uh, during COVID, so giving birth during a pandemic. Uh, I talked about my pregnancy and touched on part of my birth in um, a prior episode, and I just wanted to kind of expand upon the process of giving birth because during my pregnancy and during um you know, this whole process of giving birth and raising a a child, I have just come to so many realizations that we are not talking enough about women's reproductive health. We are not talking enough about the ins and outs of pregnancy or birth. Um, I think when you're in the space, you're talking so much more about it. But a lot of these things that women are going through and people who are pregnant and giving birth are going through are not really known as uh, widely as they should be. And I felt like when I got pregnant and I gave birth, I joined some like weird club where everyone kind of knew (laughs) this um, process and I didn't, which makes sense because I had never gone through it before, but there were just some simple things that I just never knew about. And so uh, throughout my pregnancy and my birth and through child rearing, I have been really open about my journey and my process with my friends and online. And so I really wanted to take some time to dive into what this looked like for me and my experience, especially because I gave birth during a pandemic and there are thousands of people out there who did the same. And I had no idea that this was going to be my story. So I really want to share that with you. And I'm really excited to dive in. So let's do so. Um, If you have not listened to my past episode, I got pregnant um, at the tail end of 2019. And um, I gave birth to my son Liam in September of 2020. So the majority of my pregnancy was during the pandemic. And in March, when everything went into lockdown in New York City, I was still, you know, entering into, I was still my first trimester entering into my second trimester and my life just rapidly changed. So if you want to hear more about pregnancy, you can go to that episode. Um, But I want to talk about my birth. So um, I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes, and that is a separate episode that I'll be doing in the future, just kind of talking about the ins and outs of gestational diabetes and my experience with it. But because I was uh, diagnosed with gestational diabetes, I had really close monitoring. Um, So the thing that people, that care providers are worried about when you have gestational diabetes 
is that you are going to have a bigger baby. Uh, and they want to make sure that your vitals are okay and that your baby's growth is okay. I was able to manage my blood sugar through diet and exercise. I was really vigilant about it. So they let me go past 39 weeks, which is usually when they would normally induce a mother unless, you know, she is healthy. And I know that I've had friends tell me there are doctors out there that would induce every single woman who had gestational diabetes, regardless of, uh, you know, their blood sugar levels and, and how healthy they were at the moment. I luckily had a team of doctors who were totally fine with letting me go past um, 39 weeks. Uh, now, did I want to go past 39 weeks? No, ma'am, I did not. Um, I was very ready at 39 weeks to have my baby. I had taken, you know, the last two weeks of uh, work before, you know, my due date off because I was like, all right, let's get ready for this. And at uh, 37 weeks, I started having really crazy Braxton Hicks contractions. And I was feeling them. I, you know, at any moment we were just, my husband and I were like, oh, is this happening now? Is this, is this going? Um, and I had had, I had Braxton Hicks contractions before then because you can get them as early as 20 weeks if you did not know that. Uh, but around 37 weeks, I would have contractions all day. And the thing about contractions that people don't tell you until you're in, you know, this situation where you're planning on giving birth is that, you know, if they're not frequent and regular, you're not in labor or you're not really getting there yet to regular labor. Um, and I, I also want to preface this with like, I am not a health professional. And so I might say things that just aren't correct or might not make sense. So I apologize for that. If you are a healthcare professional, if you're, feel free to reach out to me and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm happy to state when I'm wrong. <laughs> but um, uh, and I also want to preface this by saying like, your birth is beautiful. However you choose to give birth and bring your child into this world in a healthy way is beautiful. That is all I want for you. Uh, I was under the impression that I was going to be mama, like uh, goddess, natural birth, ooh la la lady. And um, that did not happen for me. <laughs> um, and that I was going to go as long as I could without pain management. And I was going to try and not have pain management. Uh, that did not happen for me. So I just want to let you know, whatever you are experiencing with your birth if you gave birth and it was a traumatic process for you, um, I see you, I hear you, I'm there for you. Um, birth really is nothing that you can control. You can do your best, but um, your body is going to do what it does. And um, the way you choose to bring your child into this world is beautiful and it matters and you are worthy of that. And, and you know, I if you were disappointed by your birth, I'm, you know, I'm here for you. I see you. And just know your birth story is perfect the way it is. And I also know that there are people grieving around their birth stories too. I um, had a positive birth story, uh, even though I was um, 
not feeling so positive at the time. So I gave birth to my son at 41 weeks. So at 39 weeks, I was already having contractions that were sporadic. I would be going into the doctor's office every single week for an ultrasound and a stress test, which is when they put a band around your belly and monitor your baby's heartbeat and see if you have any contractions. And I would go in for an ultrasound to see if any amniotic fluid had been leaking. And they told me that if, if my amniotic fluid was low, I would be rushed to give birth. So during those last weeks of my pregnancy, my husband was in the car during every single appointment with all of our bags and everything that we had ready to go in the car just in case my amniotic fluid was low and I would be rushed to go get induced. So it was a pretty intense time every single I would every single time I would go to the doctors. And I just remember one of the nurses when I came in um, one week was like, Christina, why are you so pregnant? Where is this baby? Why isn't he coming? We got to go. <laughs> and I was like, you're telling me, Nancy, you're telling me. So um, I was very much <laughs> ready to give birth. Um, and at 41 weeks, I had gone to triage. So when you um, are experiencing certain things like I I got really paranoid that my child wasn't moving. And, and one of the things that um, is a risk with gestational diabetes is stillbirth, which is terrifying. Um, so they always tell you to, you know, if you if you can't feel your child moving at some point, you should go to the emergency room or labor and delivery. So there was one day where I was really paranoid about it, uh, on top of just being generally paranoid about it all the time. And I went to labor and triage, which is where they check you in before you go in to give birth. Um, I was fine. Baby was fine. And so we ended up going home. Um, and they, you know, obviously just wanted to make sure everything was okay with baby and things like that. And he was totally fine. Um But at 41 weeks, I was scheduled to be induced. I gave birth to my son on Thursday, September 10th, and I was scheduled to be induced that Sunday, the 13th. So um, I was very close to being induced because they weren't going to let me go past, um, you know, 41 and a half weeks. And so I was in the shower and I was feeling very, very nauseous and very much out of breath. And during quarantine, I had to get a blood pressure machine, um, like a, a monitor to monitor my blood pressure. Since I was having virtual telehealth doctor's visits, they wanted to make sure I was taking care of my blood pressure and checking my blood pressure. So my care providers would know what that is. So I was feeling really nauseous and I was feeling like kind of dizzy and towards the end of your pregnancy, um, um, you really have to monitor your blood pressure to make sure you're not preeclamptic. I took my blood pressure and it was pretty high and my blood pressure had been normal and looking gorgeous as the nurses would say every single time I went to the uh, doctor's office. And so I took it a couple more times and I was feeling kind of off and on about it. And um, I reached out to my doctor and said, hey, I'm just feeling this way. And, you know, the blood pressure monitor was kind of giving me weird readings. And my doctor was always of the mindset to be more safe than sorry. And she said, you know, I think you should go in and just get it checked out. 
And I knew that when I went in, they will most likely induce me. And I was fine with that, to be honest. Um, I did not have that moment where my water broke, like all of, you know, that those things um, I did not have with my birth. But so my husband and I went to... Um, triage and the labor and delivery triage and what they did is um in that labor and delivery triage they checked me in um my husband waited out in the waiting room because of covid i had to wear a mask the whole time um i had to wear a mask the entire time up until i pushed my son out of my body when we got to triage they did an ultrasound to check on the baby um, they took my blood pressure, and at that point, my husband was in the room after they initially got me checked in and dressed and things like that, which was nice because my husband had not been able to come to any appointments or anything up until from like 12 weeks until 41 weeks. So it was really nice to actually have him in the room. Um, but they did an ultrasound. They took my blood pressure and they did a cervical check. And I just remember at 37 weeks, I had a cervical check and I was um, one centimeter dilated and like 10% effaced. And I sobbed in my car. Um, same at like 39 weeks. I was like, what is happening? Why is this happening? And at, at 39 weeks, I was pretty much like, he's never going to come out. He's just going to be, uh, he's going to be graduating high school as he's out of me. <laughs> like, so when I got a cervical check, so for those of you who don't know, a cervical check, and I'm going to get real during this episode because you need to know about this. Millions of women go through this around the world and you need to know about this. So um, I want to be totally clear on what happens during a cervical check and, and during this whole process. So a cervical check is when a doctor inserts their fingers into your vagina, into a person's vagina, and... Um, checks if their cervix is dilated so they can measure um, with their fingers how dilated how open um, a person's cervix is and that will indicate how far along they are in getting ready for labor if they're in pre-labor if they are in labor um, and an effacement is um, how thin your cervix is so your cervix is more of a tube and it becomes more round and um, expansive as it gets more effaced so for those of you experiencing pregnancy for the first time as you get you know further along in your pregnancy journey you're going to want to ask your doctor um, how dilated am I and how effaced am I? Something also to note is my care providers were wonderful and walked me through my cervical checks. If you do not have a care provider starting to walk you through what they are doing to you um, or asking for consent, you need to ask them to walk you through the cervical check because cervical checks are not necessary um, at certain points. You don't have to have them. I actually refused a couple cervical checks because I was not ready for them um, and I didn't want to bleed or be in pain early on because sometimes they can be painful and cause women to bleed. Um, I did not experience that. I just, it just felt like a lot of pressure for me, but, um, your care providers should be telling you, I'm going to be doing this, that I'm, you should feel some pressure. I'm inserting my finger here. Like you should not be having anybody barking orders at you and you have every single right to ask exactly 
down to the second what is going on during a cervical check. So I just want to make sure to note that when talking about those because I've I've heard kind of some stories from other people about their cervical checks and um, I just feel like you should feel empowered during those checks because that is your body. So I had a cervical check and I was one and a half centimeters dilated and 50% effaced at 41 weeks. And I wanted to like throw something across the room because <laughs> for those of you who don't know, that is not very much. And so they took some blood and they did some tests and they maintained having me on a blood pressure machine. They got me some water and I also had to take a COVID test. Um, because at that point they came back and they recommended that I be admitted and induced. And I was like, okay. And I did not want to be induced. I initially was like, I don't want to be induced. I want everything to go naturally. Um, But at 41 weeks, I was like, I want to be induced. I want, you know, this process to happen. And so um, we took a COVID test. I had the nose swab. They admitted me. What that looked like is I signed a bunch of paperwork and um, they walked me over to the birthing floor, like the birthing room, which is just down the hall from triage. So basically I walked into the room where I was giving birth and that was kind of a culture shock for me because I was like, oh, this is where I'm going to have my baby. And that was something that I just was not expecting uh, you know, I, I just feel like when you're in the hospital, you're constantly going into other rooms or other places. And, you know, you've been pregnant for 10 months and you step into a room and you're like, oh, this is where I'm going to be giving birth. So that was kind of a surreal experience. And so I want to talk about what the process was like for being induced and what exactly happens when you are induced for labor. I did not have um, a natural birth with no medication, so I can only speak to my experience. I also did not have a C-section, so I can only speak to my experience. If you have had those experiences, I would love to learn more about that, and I would love for you to share that with me. Feel free to connect with me, and we can chat more. I could talk about this for days. Um, But I uh, was induced, and I was already in early labor. That's what we had determined after I gave birth to my son because I was in labor for only 13 hours, which sounds like a long time, but for a first time mom with an induction um, and an epidural, that is actually very quick. Um, I was told that I could expect to be in labor for up to 24 hours, um, maybe more. So for me, that labor actually happened quite quickly because of the fact that I was already in pre-labor. So it was good that I went to triage. So the first step of being induced is uh, they did, so they had a cervical check um, and they started to, basically they want you to dilate naturally as much as possible. They want your cervix to open um, and part of the process of being induced is a natural um, dilation process without medication and then they put um, hormonal medication, like Pitocin is what it's called, into your system to naturally, um, I think it's stimulate oxytocin, I believe. I will have to check on that. But 
essentially start labor and start contractions. One thing to note when you are being induced and you have Pitocin running through your system is that your contractions are pain more painful than natural labor contractions without any um, sort of in induction medication. Um, so I had Pitocin, but first I had a Foley catheter. And what a Foley catheter is, is it is a tube and it is a balloon at the end of a tube and it is inserted into one's cervix and filled with liquid. So it's filled with fluid. And the reason why you start with a Foley catheter or why one might start with a Foley catheter and other places do this differently. Some people just start um, on Pitocin and just start with, uh, you know, that route versus a catheter. But the Foley catheter is supposed to help you dilate more initially. So what they did is I um, was lying down on my back and I had my legs out in a butterfly position. I told you I was going to get real during this conversation. Um, So (laughs) I'm going to. And um, the doctor inserted the Foley catheter into my cervix. And after she inserted it into my cervix, she inserted liquid. And so it's just a saline solution that she inserted into the tube and it fills up the balloon. Now, I had a friend who recently did not know this, so I'm going to share this with you. Um, Contractions feel like period cramps. So contractions feel like really intense, horrible (laughs) period cramps. Sometimes they feel different for other people. Sometimes you can feel them down your legs. I, I had that happen. Sometimes you feel them in your back. I did not have contractions in my back as much. Um, I had basically contractions vibrating um, in like my abdomen and my legs and some on my back, but really it was just really bad period cramps. Uh, really horrible period cramps. So when the Foley catheter was inserted, I had that sensation of a really horrible contraction period cramp. And I said, yep, I think I'm going to want the epidural. (laughs) And so I wanted to hold out as much as I could, but I really, you know, I was like, okay, yep, I think I'm going to want it. And, um, the Foley catheter was inserted in my cervix. And I will say after it was inserted, I did not feel, um, any pain from that. And I did not feel more um, like intense contractions. Uh, So I did want to say that other women have had a different um, experience. And after uh, the fully, they taped it to my thigh as well. So there is like that tube coming out of one's vagina and they tape it to your thigh to make sure that they can pull out that catheter. So after about two hours, I believe, um, the doctor came in and the Foley catheter is supposed to fall out naturally because it's supposed to just kind of come out naturally because you're dilated and mine did. So um, upon putting in the Foley catheter, I dilated to about three centimeters just right away, which kind of showed them I was already in pre-labor. And so then they pulled out the Foley catheter and I was dilated to about four centimeters, which was really great. So at that point, I was started on Pitocin. So I had already had an IV in me. 
And the um, nurse, who was not very nice, might I say, um, I did have a different nurse later, but who was much better. But um, initially, the first nurse I had was, um, she was a little grumpy, I will say. Uh, and she, I remember I was feeling contractions and she said, oh, they're only going to get worse from here. And I was like, that is not helpful. That's not helpful for, for me right now. Uh, so if anyone else has been there, I see you, I feel you. Uh, but I, um, was started on Pitocin and that's when contractions started pretty regularly. And that was not so fun. And like I said, when you're on Pitocin, apparently the contractions are worse. And also I've had friends who have given birth and their contractions aren't bad and they've, they're giving natural birth or they've been on Pitocin. So it really just like depends. And you are not any less of a strong person. If you get pain meds, if you are induced, if you have a C-section, you are a goddess warrior person if you are giving birth to a human because it is no joke. Um, and I opted to get an epidural. So after um, about an hour or two on the Pitocin, they came in, the, um, the anesthesiologist came in and gave me an epidural. Now that was a goddamn process because it took them an hour to get my epidural right. If you do not know what an epidural is, and this is why I'm being so honest, because I just feel like so many people do not know everything that goes into the process of giving birth or the process of reproductive health, the process that women go through, millions of women go through this, and it is wild we don't know more about this. But an epidural is pain management, and it basically numbs you from for the through the bottom half of your body and there are risks to an epidural there are pros and cons to an epidural for sure I did my research on that I would encourage you to do your research on that as well and do whatever is best for you but basically an epidural is pain medication that is injected into your through your spine so there is a needle that goes into your spine which is intense and scary and the way that you are prepared for an epidural and the way it's given is I was given numbing medication around the site of where I was going to get the epidural and the doctor injects the needle and puts a needle into your spine. During my pregnancy, I had really bad sciatic pain and it took them over an hour to get my epidural in um, because I could feel where it was going in. Um, they gave me lots of numbing shots around the site because they numb the area before they put the epidural in but I could feel sensations in my spine when they were doing it and when you are getting an epidural you have to round your back and basically crouch over and round yourself out um, and hold you can't move because obviously they're injecting something in your spine so you cannot move while they're shooting you up with numbing medication and injecting something into your spine. Yes, it is scary. Would I do it again? Yes, I would. I would do it again <laughs> for pain management. Um, but that's just me. You might not want to do that. And, and who knows, I might even change my mind around that. But there are risks to it and there are benefits to it. It is your choice. Um, but I had to hunch over for an hour and um, they were really trying to get it. The attending, the head of anesthesiology came in and did it. And she was the one who got it right for me. Um, and 
it was definitely a hard process. And the mean nurse after I went through that process was like, you were amazing. You did a great job. (laughs) So it was no joke. And um, it definitely numbs you from the waist down. Some things that I want to mention about an epidural, you have to get a catheter because you cannot walk. You have to stay in your bed. You cannot pee on your own. So that was something that was kind of scary is having a catheter inserted, Um, especially when you're awake. Usually during surgery, they don't insert a catheter until you're asleep. (laughs) And so I had a catheter inserted when I was awake. And again, I had to lay in a butterfly position with my legs out and then have the catheter inserted into my urethra so I could pee. So something else about the epidural is you can regulate how much pain medication you get. So they have a button um, and you can push that button for more pain medication. And when, for my experience, when you push the button, it felt like this cold sensation going through your body um, and down, like through my back and down my legs. And um, that was a wild experience. Something that was scary uh, on the epidural, besides having something in my spine, was that my entire right leg went numb which I was not expecting because my left leg, I could still move it. I could still, um, you know, have it function and bend it. My right leg, it was like it was totally asleep, totally numb, useless. So my husband had to, when I would shift around in bed, my husband would have to move my right leg for me um, because I I literally could not move it at all, Um, which was honestly very, very scary and something I was not expecting. And so just be mindful that that is a, you know, that is not a rare thing when getting an epidural. And so I just want to share that with you all. And then after I got my epidural, it really was a waiting game. I also want to say my epidural did not completely numb all of my pain. So I still felt contractions. I still felt my um, stomach tightening during contractions. And towards the end of my labor, um, I felt deep, painful contractions. Uh, It was very, very painful. And so I want to say, and, and I upped my epidural medication, but I also at one point was told not to do that because I needed to feel enough to push. So about an hour and a half before I gave birth, I didn't add any more medication to um, numb myself, but I did feel some intense, intense contractions. So I, I did want to mention that, that it's not completely, you know, you're not feeling nothing, um, but it's definitely wonderful <laughs> to um, be able to sleep. I slept for a couple hours. Um, I really don't remember. I My husband took a video of us talking and I, I don't remember it because um, I was really out of it um, because I was in labor. And um, that was just something I, I also wanted to mention about, you know, the fact that I was able to sleep a couple hours and, and that was something that, you know, was huge. Uh, But after a few hours of being on my epidural, there was this critical point when one of the doctors came in. And when you give birth, there are like, if you're giving birth in a hospital, which I did, uh, there are doctors just coming in and out everywhere. And right before you're about to push and give birth, they are like, tons of random doctors coming in and checking me and 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 you know that might happen for you but for me I was like who are you like what is going on I was not expecting that um having other random people but it makes sense and so there was a doctor that came in and he was a male doctor and he came in to check how much I had 
been dilating. Um, and I remember before then I wasn't, I wasn't seeing contractions on the, um, on the contraction reader because there is something that measures your contractions. So remember at the top of the episode, when I said I had a belly band over my belly for stress tests, they have that, um, when you go into the hospital, you have a belly band over your belly, constantly monitoring your baby's heartbeat. And you also have something monitoring your blood pressure constantly. There is, um, another part of that band that is monitoring your contractions. So when you are having your contractions monitored, they're being printed out on paper next to you, at least via my experience in the hospital. So you can see your contractions and you can see how intense they are. Some hospitals might have digital readers for your contractions. Mine had one where they were printing the contractions out and looking at them. So I could see when I was having contractions and how big they were. And for a period of time, I couldn't see them. And I thought I wasn't having any contractions. And my nurse said, oh no, you are. Like, we'll find them. They're there. And they were. So when my when that male doctor came in to check me, I was eight centimeters dilated. And for those of you who don't know, um, you need to be 10 centimeters dilated in order to push. So I was very close to being ready to push. And that was when I had a panic attack (laughs) because I was not expecting to be eight centimeters dilated so quickly. I was I, I don't know why, but I was just not expecting to have a vaginal birth. I have had so many friends who have been at 41 weeks, um, who have gotten epidurals, who have um, had babies and gone in and then had emergency C-sections. And so in my brain, I think I just always had this vision of, oh gosh, I'm probably just going to be having an emergency C-section. And so when the doctor came in, I wanted a, a vaginal birth, but I just you know, had that in my mind as a, as something that could happen. So when my doctor came in and said I was eight centimeters dilated and he did a cervical check, which I asked him to walk me through, by the way, so make sure you're doing that. Um, he said, oh, wow, yeah, you're eight centimeters dilated. You're almost ready to push. And something that happens on Pitocin, just so you know, is your teeth can chatter. For me, when I am nervous, my teeth chatter naturally. And I remember I just started shaking. (laughs) No one was in the room. It was just my husband and I. And I started shaking and hyperventilating basically because I was just so scared. Because birth is scary. I consider my birth to be a positive experience. I had a positive birth. Uh, experience, but it was still really scary. Pushing a human out of your body is fucking scary. It's bloody. Something I haven't mentioned also is that when you are on the labor and delivery floor, you might be able to hear other women giving birth. So for me, throughout my entire labor, there was a woman next door who was screaming bloody murder. And she's a goddess. She did her thing. She pushed her baby out. But it was terrifying to hear that when you're getting ready to give birth to a child yourself. And so when the doctor came in and said I was eight centimeters dilated, I lost it. 
I was so scared. I was panicking, but I have a beautiful, incredible partner who was able to calm me down, who was able to talk me through it, who was able, we, we were, we were like practicing our breathing together. So he, you know, we, we did some breathing exercises together. Um, and it was just one of those things where the doctor said, okay, in about an hour and a half, you'll probably be ready. And then I went into this weird animalistic mode of I just I just have to get through this and so for me I started feeling those really painful contractions that I mentioned the last hour and a half of my um, labor and that's because my son Liam was very much always on the left side of my body Um, he was pushing down into my pelvis and hitting me more on the left side and so it was incredibly painful uh, contractions and for about an hour and a half I really couldn't talk and I really couldn't function Um, and my husband and I were just my, my husband and I were just working through those contractions so that was something I wanted to mention here is you know, even with an epidural, I was in pain and I also had a birthing partner. So if you are, if you are able to have a partner and a birthing partner in, in the room, practice breathing together, practice your communication, um, let them know what you want. Obviously when you're in it, you're not going to know exactly, you know, what's going on sometimes and you're going to respond, you know, animalistically, (laughs) but I, very much needed that support and so we just worked through those contractions together and that was really really important for me uh so that was about an hour and a half of contractions and then everything happened so quickly about an hour and a half in a doctor came in and did a cervical check on me um and it was so quick because they were like oh yep okay and I didn't really know what was happening because I just thought, oh, okay, like we're, nobody really told me like, okay, Christina, it's time. We are going to be giving birth now. (laughs) Like no one told me that. And I think that's a good idea because I probably would have freaked out a bit. But what happened instead is that a doctor came in, a beautiful, magical woman. Um, I, I honestly do not know who my doctors were that day because they were the doctors on call, but they were incredible. And, um, I was surrounded by women, which I really, really wanted. Um, and there was one doctor who I believe was a resident and the attending was there as well. And she was the person who was essentially teaching me how to push and and how to do this. And again, when you're on an epidural, you can't move around. And my right leg was numb. If I had more built more mobility, I probably would have been able to go on my side. Nils and I had practiced, you know, being on all fours to potentially give birth. Nils is my husband, by the way. Um, And it was something that, you know, I, I had kind of just surrendered to the moment, which I think is something that's really, really important to note during birth. So again, I'm going to be real. Um, during this time, uh, the the way that I gave birth was I had both of my legs. Uh, I was on my back and I had both of my knees up to my chest. Um, and my husband was on one side holding one leg and the nurse was on the other side holding my right leg, which had gone numb and kind of like propping it also on a stirrup. And, um, 
when you're pushing, you go with your contractions. So you have to wait for contractions um, before you're pushing. And that's why, you know, they wanted to make sure I wasn't hitting more more of an epidural and um, so I could feel when I was pushing. Um, people who are giving birth, when you are pushing, the way you push, you might have heard this before, is you are acting like you are pooping. And that is something you will learn in your classes, but that is something that is true. I have no idea if I pooped on the table. Um, my husband does not think I did, but just to be totally honest and out there, that is what it's like. You are acting like you are pushing out a big old poop. And um, the doctor told me that typically um, for a first time parent, a first time mother or person giving birth um, on an epidural, the average time for pushing is three hours of pushing. I am so happy my doctor told me that because that is what I was expecting in my mind. I was expecting me to be pushing for three hours. I did not push for three hours. I pushed for an hour and a half. Um, and again, in my brain, I still was not expecting to be giving birth. So here I am just like, okay, wow, okay, we're actually doing this. And we um, put me in position and we just started. So it happened really quickly. Um, the doctor told me to breathe in as a contraction was coming, breathe out and basically push like I was giving a, I was having a poop and pushing out a poop. That was um, kind of helpful, but one thing during an epidural, you can't really feel it as much. So for me, what was really helpful in, once I got a hang of things was tilting my um, butt up a little bit as I was pushing more. Um, so I would push and kind of tilt my butt up just slightly. So that was really helpful for me. Just so you know, if you are in the same uh, position. Something that uh, I also did was I threw up during labor. Uh, that came out of kind of nowhere. I had a big push and I felt uh, my son shift in my body and I just said, I'm going to throw up and I threw up. So I threw up into a basin because my husband grabbed that for me. So that was really, really great that, that happened um, instead of throwing up all over myself. But I know women who have just thrown up all over themselves and they just keep going and keep pushing. So just be aware. Um, also, you should be aware that you are not allowed to to eat during um, labor. And so if you know you're about to be induced, um, you know, eat, have some snacks because you're not going to be able to eat until you push your baby out. And so for me, I was pushing and I pushed for an hour and a half. It honestly felt like 30 minutes, um, but I pushed an hour and a half. And one thing that happened during pushing was that I had a big baby. So um, they were nervous about my son being able to be pushed out vaginally. At one point, there was a um, consideration of an emergency C-section because apparently my pelvic bone was not shaped in a um, is shaped more triangularly, I, apparently. And so um, it was harder for him or it might be more of an oval. I cannot remember. But it was harder for him to get past my pelvic bone right where my pubic bone is. So it was really hard for him to get his head past there. And boy, did he look like that when he came out. I was like, 
oh, okay. Um, but it was hard for him to get past that. But once the doctor told me that, because I could tell something was wrong and I said, okay, what's going on? And they told me what was going on. I gave a huge push and my doctor was like, okay, never mind. Um, we're good. We can keep going. And so about three more pushes after that, um, my son's head was pushed out. And then after that, it was like kind of nothing. And, and I, they told me to stop pushing and I gave a slight push and the rest of his body was out. And then, um, it was just insane. Like it is, there's nothing in the world that can compare to this experience. And, um, they put my son on my chest because that's what I wanted. Um, and they delayed his cord being clamped because that's what I wanted. And that was a practice at the hospital that, um, they did in general, but they put my son on my chest. And I will say I didn't, I, I did not have that immediate, like, oh my gosh, I love you so much. You're my baby. It was like shock. I was just in shock. And my first thought was really like, oh my God, that's a baby. Like, oh, that's a human. There, There is a human outside of my body. Holy crap, what? And it was just so overwhelming. And he was on my chest and my husband and, you know, my husband watched me push this baby out of my body and both of us were just so overwhelmed and um, we were both crying and um, it was just a very emotionally overwhelming process as one can imagine and you've probably seen. Um, some things that I want to mention post-birth, I did tear. So during my birth, I had a second degree tear. So there are tears that are like one degree to four degrees. So I had a second degree tear, which means that my perineum did tear. I did do perineum like exercises before I gave birth, but um, I just want to let you know, like that can happen. So while I was holding my son and bonding with him, um, I was being stitched up again. I'm being super real about this because you might need to know this and um, you should know what women go through. <laughs> so I was being stitched up and that was honestly really scary um, because birth is bloody. It is bloody and uh, it is not some pretty just like, oh, the little baby's out. No, you're just snuggling. You know, it's great. It's like, no, it's bloody and gory and um, you are giving birth. You're body is breaking open essentially to bring another human into this world and so I was you know getting stitched up and I heard doctors say things that I was like oh my god what's happening to my body but they were also saying you know you're you're amazing and um it's incredible what the human body can do. And so they were being really positive, which was great. Um, but it was scary, you know, hearing that your body's going through this. And um, after a while, they also put my baby on my breast to start, you know, him nursing and to start, you know, to have him latch on to me so he could um, know that that was something he could do and um, to kind of create that bond and get those um, those hormones flowing and everything. And after a while, um, the nurse took him and weighed him and that was when he started crying a lot. Um, but he did cry before, but he really started crying when he was being weighed and measured and everything. And then they wrapped him up. And um, as I was getting, you know, 
treated and stitched up and taken care of. My husband held my son with, um, on his skin to skin and just on his chest for a long time for about an hour and just like spent time with him. And I found that to be really special. Something to know is I was still numb for quite some time. So uh, we stayed in the birthing room for about three hours. And after then, um, they were able to transfer us to a recovery room. Now, I do want to say, again, up until I was pushing, I had to wear a mask. And um, in the recovery room, my mask was on and off to be totally upfront. We were sharing a room with someone else. Everyone had been tested in that facility, um, but I had my mask on and off uh, during that time. And um, in recovery, in postpartum recovery, that is when things got, you know, pretty scary for me. You know, I had my lovely, beautiful son and that was wonderful, but it was also, you know, such a out of body experience. I was put in a wheelchair and held onto my son as we were being rolled, um, to the recovery area. And, um, you know, I had postpartum pads that I had to change and, I had to go to the bathroom. They give you pain medication. So you get Motrin and Tylenol. Um, that's what I got. I know other women will get more depending on, you know, how severe their pain is. And um, I also, because I'm allergic to expired codeine, I wasn't able to get um, heavier pain medication. And so I was still in like some pain and um then I had like postpartum underwear and pads and you have to, you can't use toilet paper um, and you have a peri bottle. So you have to wash your um, vagina with a peri bottle, with a spray bottle and, um, you know, learn how to walk after giving birth and learn how to sit and shift around. You know, I had stitches. So like, lying in bed wasn't comfortable and, you know, standing wasn't comfortable and sitting down wasn't comfortable. And it was a really scary process. Um, and you know, you're bleeding. And so then you're also expected to nurse and take care of your baby at the same time. And so this is all a huge process. And the reason I share this and all of this is because, uh, People need to know that when they're going through this, they're not alone. And I also want people to prepare for, you know, just the process of birth. And it's a wonderful, beautiful thing, but it's also scary as fuck. <laughs> like, it is no joke. And I feel like we have to talk more about that and give women the support they need. Um, and something that I will say is one of my regrets in this whole process is that I did not take more newborn classes. So you give birth to a baby, you're pregnant, then you give birth and you have a baby. So how are you going to take care of that baby? Uh, I really wish I had taken more newborn classes because I had never been around newborns. I had not been around babies before. And so for me entering into this new phase of my life, it was just so different for me and new and I just had no idea um, what I was doing and so many people are faced in the same situation but especially during COVID um, we couldn't have any visitors uh, in the hospital um, for certain periods we could have one but really no one was around and my brother was watching our house for us and so um, 
we it was just my husband and I, and it still is my husband and I. So I just want to say, if you're having a baby, you are a warrior. You are amazing. Um, I hope this was helpful for you. If you have any questions, I am more than happy to answer them. This was much longer of an episode than I thought it was going to be, but I wanted to be detailed and share my story with you because I just think it's really important to shatter any sort of, um, you know, misconceptions or fallacies around birth because yes, it is beautiful, but it's also intense. Your body goes through the ringer. It is a wonderful process, but we need to be honest about the fact that, you know, this is something that is really, uh, really taxing and intense on a woman's body and a person who's giving birth is going through something that is really hard and they need more support for that. And, um, Also, if you are talking to your care providers, just make sure they're checking your vitals post-birth. Make sure you are having people come in and check on you, check your vitals, make sure you have food and um, demand that if they're not because it is unacceptable for you to not have care after you have given birth um, and especially after a C-section. So that was something that was really, you know, on my mind as a woman of color, but I know that um, for black women out there, the birth disparities and the maternal um, mortality rates are absolutely abysmal. And so I just want to mention that, that that is so important and you are your advocate. And if you need somebody else to be an advocate, and if you have any questions about this, I'm more than happy to chat anytime. And, um, just know you're doing an amazing job if you are expecting and if you just wanted to listen to this to learn more about um you know a a person's birth experience thank you for listening i so appreciate it and um I just really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode of the Growing Women podcast. Next week, we will be back with another interview. And I'm so, so excited for you to um, hear uh, this interview. We are going international next week, guys. I'm really excited. So um, I will see you next week on the next episode of the Growing Women podcast. Please, please, please subscribe. Feel free to leave a review if you like for the show and follow us on Instagram. I would love to see you over there. It's at Growing Woman Pod. And let's continue the conversation. I would love to hear your birth story. And I just want to say again, your birth is beautiful. Um, What you have gone through is beautiful. And you are absolutely incredible. And you if, if this is, if you're in this frame of mind right now, if you are um, getting pregnant or if you are pregnant or if you're about to give birth, you are an absolute hero and warrior. So um, great job. You're amazing. Keep going. Um, you got this. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one.